Thank you, Matt, and the rest for leading us. If you have your Bibles, I'd invite you to take them and turn with me to Romans chapter 4 for our text this morning. We welcome every single one of you who are here. We also welcome, especially those who are joining us, many online. We miss you. Take your Bibles out. This is what we're going to focus on this morning. We've been involved in a series in the book of Romans. The time for truth is now. In a world where everything seems to be moving and shifting and changing, we have to be more firm in our understanding of doctrinal integrity and strong, clear theology now more than ever before. That's why we are students of this word. It reminds you, I have nothing to tell you apart from what is in this word right here. So, we will go to the Lord in prayer. We also just want to extend congratulations to Pastor uh, Stewart and Cheyenne, as Pastor Josh already announced, safe arrival of Lincoln, Lincoln David. I don't totally understand, but think about this. He was born at 1155. Five minutes. If he just waited five minutes right at the strike of midnight, wouldn't that be an amazing way to enter? But no, he's, he's a man of his own mind already. We need to thank the Lord for the blessing of new little ones. Also, we need to pray. There are a number of people that are just struggling with the heaviness, with the weightiness of all that is going on around us. And I know that there's a weight... But praise God that we can take the heaviness and we can leave it before the throne this morning. Would you bow your heads and pray with me before we look into the word of God to listen and learn together. Let's pray. Father, we rejoice that you've given to us in your grace another day. You've woken us up. You've given to us breath in our lungs. You've given us the ability to hear this morning your word, to, to see one another, to lift up voices in song. Thank you, Lord, that as we were reminded, and as we're reminded every day, none of us are perfect. But what a wonderful reminder of how we desperately need you, the only perfect one. Thank you for your word that is given to us. I would pray right now that you would illuminate our hearts, give us clear understanding. Help us to demonstrate faith such as illustrated before us this morning. We thank you, Lord, for the safe arrival of little Lincoln. We praise you for your goodness as you bless this body over and over and over again. But Lord, together, those that are gathered here and those that are listening from afar, we come before you, many with heavy hearts, with burdens, with illness and sickness, with worry. Lord, you tell us to come to you, to lay our burdens, to cast them at your feet. And Lord, we want to do that this morning, trusting you to give us the strength that we need to continue on in faith. We rejoice in your sovereign authority. We lift up our country, particularly this week. We do ask, Lord, that you would give wisdom to our leaders, that you would protect, and that we would be shining examples 
to be the best citizens, faithfully praying for those in authority, loving one another as you've called us to do. Thank you for your love for us. Help me, please, Lord, help me. Please give me the right words to say. Clarity of thought and mind and speech. May all of this be for your glory. We ask this in the amazing and wonderful and matchless name of Jesus. Amen and amen. For three solid chapters, quick review. We have been in the book of Romans. We know the Apostle Paul has been making a very, very strong case here, primarily for the righteousness of God, but we've also seen what the painful, sinful plight of all of mankind apart from God. We saw in Romans chapter 1, God was revealed to us through the incarnation and through creation. Yet we know that mankind exchanged the truth of God for a lie. We know that mankind's foolish hearts were darkened and they dishonored God with their bodies. They were debased in their thinking. It says three times that God gave them up. You want this? You want this? Go ahead. Three times God said he gave them up. Judges chapter 2, we saw a very dark chapter at some light. Wrath, God, God judges us with wrath and fury and, and tribulation and distress. We, we saw that there's no work that we can do. There's no act that we can do. There's no law or letter that we can obey that will save us. Romans chapter 3, we saw that God is righteous. He is lovingly and graciously offering us justification as a gift, as a gift to us of his grace. When one puts their, what, faith alone in Christ alone. God's own son, whom he offered as a propitiation, who took the wrath that you and I deserved. There's a central theme that runs all the way through the whole book of Romans. We've seen that already repeatedly. Romans chapter 1, verse 17, the righteous shall live by faith. Even more specifically, we saw in Romans chapter 3, verse 28, for we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works. The theme that we see all the way through. Now, what Paul, masterful communicator, does, what the author does, is he gives to us in Romans chapter 4 an illustration of what this looks like, helps us understand. He gives to us a perfect living, breathing example of faith in everyday life, real life, real time. Over 25 years of preaching, I've noticed that people love illustrations. I have to be careful. All preachers and pastors need to be careful because people can oftentimes remember the illustration more than they remember the subject itself. And so what, what happens is that you're listening, you're listening, and you kind of like blur out, and then you hear what? I remember a time, a long time ago, and everybody's with you. Uh, you know, a message is being preached, and then what? October the 7th, 1972, and everybody's with you. You hear an illustration, and it draws us in. This is what the Apostle Paul is doing here. And on my notes, I have a system. Any illustration is boxed. It's put down to 10 font. It's highlighted in green. So that attention is drawn to it. 
This basically is what Paul is doing with all of Romans chapter 4. That's why we're going to cover one chapter in one day. I know you're shocked by that. So Paul what has maximum impact for his listeners. He gives an illustration, an example, by going directly to the one who is referred to as the progenitor of the Jewish people, Abraham. Father Abraham had many sons, many sons had Father Abraham. We sing that since we were little ones. Historically speaking, what? This is the man. He is what? Where everyone has descended from, the original ancestor of the Jewish people, the patriarch, what I refer to as the grandpa of all grandpas right here and he gives to us the ultimate test case of justification by faith alone we're going to break up our text i'm going to begin just by reading the first eight verses follow along the words will be in front of you on the screen i read from the esv the english standard version romans chapter 4 verse 1 the word of the lord What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. To the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. First point I want to make very clear to you this morning is this. Abraham had faith in God. And it was in God alone. Abraham had faith in God and God alone. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. God counts righteousness apart from work, we just read in verse 6. So think of this for a moment. Since there are no works, and we've talked about this, there's nothing you can do. No law, no letter. Since there are no works that can justify, there's no boasting or bragging in any work. Therefore, the Apostle Paul, the author, brings forth Exhibit A to prove his case. Like how one commentator refers to this illustration from chapter 4 as a corroboration from the Old Testament. A corroboration is what? It's defined as evidence which confirms or supports a statement, a confirmation. Think for a moment, the importance of justification by faith alone is evidenced by this example, by this illustration. To begin with, Paul asks and answers a question. What does Scripture say? He asks that question. What does Scripture say? We could just stop right there. 
What an amazing place for us to answer the questions of life. What does Scripture say? How many times as parents, as grandparents, as leaders, as influencers, in all honesty, we don't have a clue what's next. Well, what does Scripture say? Great reminder, Paul says, what is it that the Word says? He then quotes Abraham chapter 15 and verse 6. Very simple statement, Abraham believed God. That word believed used here in Greek is pastuo. It means to trust, to be faithful, to think, to be true. In Hebrew, where it's translated from the Old Testament, proving to be firm, reliable, faithful, permanent. Because what Paul is quoting going back to Genesis. Believing in that which is to be permanent. What is Abraham doing? He's putting everything into the only thing. Abraham is putting everything into the only one that he believes is what? Permanent. Everything is poured into that one. The reason that Abraham is given as an example here of not boasting is because there's nothing for him to boast in. He's done nothing except what? He's just offered himself. All he has done is trusted as naturally as breathing. We don't think about it. Abraham just trusted God. That's who he was. He believed God to be God. Therefore what? He is given as the ultimate example to all the Jewish people. He is still known today as the father of the faithful. Although what? We know back in Old Testament, we know that the Messiah had not come yet. Jesus had not been born. Jesus had not died on the cross. Jesus had not rose from the dead. Yet, what's interesting is that justification in the Old Testament was actually very, very similar to justification in the New Testament. Rather than looking back the way that we do in faith to our Savior, Abraham, what? He looked forward in faith to the Messiah, to his Savior. The only difference is the time frame to where what the object of their faith was placed. Both, looking forward or looking back, both are in the person and the work of Jesus. Friday mornings, we gather for prayer. Now you're listening to me because it's an illustration. Heads go up. Friday mornings, we meet together at 6 a.m. to pray and have for a number of years and and I just love these guys because they're so hard on me. Uh, oftentimes, we end up reading the text that I'm going to be preaching on. And we dialogue about it, and we pray specifically for you who will be gathered on this day. And this particular Friday morning, we gathered, and Zane Padalev, we host, he hosts, we're at his home. And Zane easily slides into the place of what I refer to as the second funniest elder and the fourth wisest elder. I just leave that measuring system to me. But Zane made this comment as we were talking about this particular text. And I quote, I asked his permission. They had to look forward to a promise. We get to look back to a fact. I said, can I write that down? Think about that. They look forward to a promise. We look back and we know 
It is fact. This is key. This is key for us today on how we get up and we live our life, how we interact with one another. We talk about the good news. You can't get to the good news without getting to Jesus. And you can't get to Jesus without getting there by faith. And we hold on to that. There is so much in this particular text, but even the previous text, that speak about this subject of faith. The latter portion of Romans chapter 3 the word faith was used eight times. Eight times. In Romans chapter 4, the word faith is used ten times just in our text today. We know what it is. We also know that we're to have faith. We know we're supposed to exercise faith. But today, in a sense, we could almost what look at application portion from this. It's implied. It's not necessarily direct. But it talks about the fact that you and I, if we're to have faith, faith like Abraham, we have to ask the question, like, how do we do this? How do we exercise this kind of faith today? Like, this is how we live and breathe as faithful followers of Jesus. How many people have I talked to, that you've talked to, that say something like this, I just want to have faith. I want to have faith. But it just seems like I, I can't, I can't, and I don't have it. Someone who tells me that, I just want to have the faith, but, but I can't. My response is always, always, always the same. That's exactly right. You cannot. You cannot have the faith because you're trying to do it in your own strength, in your own efforts, in your own ability. When in reality... We have to have faith in God and God alone. Instead, we trust Jesus. We trust Christ and Christ alone. Real life here, real time. How do we, how do we blindly step into the unknown? Many of you are going through journeys of faith right now. Like, how do, we, how do we do this? How do we learn just to trust as natural as it was breathing? Whether or not we're looking forward or whether or not we're looking back, the question I propose for us this morning is how do we do, uh, do we do this? How can I have faith alone in Christ alone? What I have found is this. For some people, for some people, it's a thrill for them to trust in the unknown. Probably why? Because it says in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that some people have actually been given the gift of faith. It's just easier for them. I love roller coasters. I love big, fast, nasty roller coasters. But I hate sitting in the front. I never sit in the front. Like it's terrifying. I, I don't mind going on them as long as I know that somebody is up there. And those people that in a sense have been given, they're the ones that go to the front. They have to be in the front. Like, what kind of a weirdo does that? You don't sit in the front. You could die up there, but I'm safe. Four seats back. Really? But at some level, there's people that just breathe in. Like, I get to take that step of faith. I remember meeting with the Montais before they head off to, to PNG. Like, I'm like, really? Like, you want to do this? This is what God's called us to. We're just ready to go. Like people are given the gift of faith. But, but 
can I dare say for many, can I dare say probably for most of us, the journey of faith, trusting in that which we cannot see, trusting in the unknown, the unseen, for many people, not only is it a challenge, but it is a nightmare for us. Therefore, what? The direct object must be the focus. We trust in that which we know. We trust in that which we know. So, so my challenge at some level with, like, how do we do this? And if you struggle with, with exercising faith, like, I just don't know if I can really give my whole life to Jesus. I don't know if I can trust him, like, with my future. What, what do we do? We, we go first and foremost to the scriptures that teach us and model for us from people like Abraham. We go to Hebrews chapter 11. There's a long list of people who were gifted in many ways with faith. But you know what? In addition to that, you can also do find people that you know who have demonstrated faith. And I call what? Snuggle up to them. Spend time with them. Like, how did you do this? Like, weren't you terrified? How, 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 how did you pray? What did you say? How did you live your life? How did you arrange and organize? And what happens is we come alongside of those that can trust, that have this, and we learn from them. That's what God's Word is doing here for us. We have to be able to do this. We snuggle up to those who demonstrate faith. No greater place than the truth of the Word of God. I was chatting yesterday with my, Wendy and I were chatting yesterday with my mom, who is not well. She's suffering right now from covid and talked with her on the phone and encouraged her. And I said, is it anything, Mom, that we can do for you? Can we get something? My sister's down there, so I'm just like, get Mom whatever she needs. You know what she asked for? She says, I, I want biographies, biblical biographies. I, I want to read biblical biographies. Can you get me more? Like, we've bought her a stack, but she still wants more. I want to learn more about faithful people. That, that's an example at some level of what it looks like here. It's not my own life, but it's evidenced often in a justified life. What does faith look like in Christ alone? We learn from examples, not just from the Word of God, but from those that God has placed around us. Abraham had faith in God and God alone. Secondly, Abraham acted on his faith. It called him to something. It wasn't the act itself, we know, that caused one to be justified or declared righteous, but it was the act, what? In this case, in the example that we'll read here, it was circumcision that revealed faith in the one who justifies. Let me, let me read a, a number of verses. I'm going to skip around a little bit. We'll begin in verse 9. Listen to this. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. 
He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well. Look at verse 13. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law but through the righteousness of faith. Down to verse 16, that is why it depends on faith. In order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring. Not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham. Who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. In the presence of God in whom he believed. Who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. Listen to this testimony of verse 18. In hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations just as he had been told. D. James Kennedy uses the old, you're very familiar with the old chair illustration. T. James Kennedy was one who developed evangelism explosion. And, and, and you know the chair illustration. You've heard this. You look at a chair you're standing next to and you ask someone the question, do you, do you believe that this chair will hold you up? And, and you examine it. It looks sturdy to me. And, and you pick it up and, and, and solid. Yep. The question is, is always presented... If you believe that chair will hold you, that equals belief. James actually says what? What? Good. But even the demons believe. So many people believe. I, I, I think that chair is going to hold me. I think God can save me. Great. That's good to start. But guess what? Even the demons believe. Satan believes. But there's something that happens here. Ask the question, is that chair holding you up? Well, I'm standing over here. Apparently, it's not holding me up. Which demands what? At some level, at some level, faith demands action. Note, very, very important, we look at this as an example we cannot help but see when one is truly justified by faith alone. There's action, which means works. Good, God-honoring works will be present. Will be present. Not, not for justification, but as a result of justification. James chapter 2 speaks about that. We don't have the time to read it right now, but I encourage you. James chapter 2, verses 18 through 24. Let me read a little. Can I read a little? Someone will say, you have faith, I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works. And I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown? Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is, on, is useless? Was not Abraham our father? Justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar. And we talk about the fact here that what? Abraham acts on his faith. 
You look at his life, you listen to it, you cannot help but notice the active faith that takes place. So how does the story of Abraham begin anyway? Go to Genesis chapter 12. God speaks to him and he says, Go from your country and your kindred. Go from your country and your kin. I want you to leave everything that is familiar to you, everything that you're comfortable with, to a place that I will show you. Imagine God just calling you, like, I just want you to leave the comforts of what you have right now. Where do you want me to go? No, I'll, I'll show you. Hebrews chapter 11 responds in verse 8, and he went out not knowing where he was going. Today we would say that's a foolish person. Does not count the cost. No, actually, perhaps for some, that's what faith looks like. How about this example? You are to undergo circumcision. That will be the sign of the covenant between me and you. Genesis chapter 17. Here's the response. Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised. He and his whole family. Guys, that's a step of faith. I'll leave it right there. There's some action I don't think anyone, I don't think anyone, I don't think any one of those acts come even close to Genesis chapter 22. Abraham, I want you to take your son. I want you to take your boy. Your only son, Isaac. I want you to offer him there. As a burnt offering. At some level, we just pause on that. As a father, as a grandfather, ones with nieces or nephews, you know. Take, take that one that is most precious to you. That's Genesis 22, verse 2. Do you know what Genesis 22, verse 3 says? Let me refresh your memories. So Abraham rose early. He rose early, he saddled his donkey, he took his son Isaac, and he went to the place that God told him. I, I, I cannot, cannot imagine. And yet that's, that's what faith looks like. That's what we are called to. Demands as well what is huge faith that Abraham demonstrates when, when he wasn't necessarily called to action, but he was just given a promise. I want you to hold on to this promise. God says what? Abraham, I'm going to make you a great nation. Abraham, I want you to know I'm going to make your name great. Abraham, I want you to know you're, I'm going to give your offspring so they will be numbered like the stars in the sky. I'm going to give you land to possess. Here's a promise, Abraham. I'm going to bless those who bless you. I'll curse those who curse you. Sometimes it's even harder what, where there's to be no action. It's just a waiting game. And, and we, we, know, we know what the whole challenge to what was going on here. He did not weaken in faith, but he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness 
of Sarah's womb. You mean we're going to be a great nation? And like my wife, like she can't have babies. There's faith that's demonstrated, but it's not just a faith of action, of moving forward. It's just a faith to wait, to hold on, and to trust. So, so difficult. And yet, what happens here? What happens with all of this? Thirdly and finally, Abraham exemplified the faith that you and I need. Abraham modeled this for us. Just listen to this summary. Listen to this summary. Verse 20, no unbelief made him waver. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. You know, we we see at some level here that Abraham was blessed in order to be a blessing. Do you realize that's, that's our lives as well, that we have been blessed in order to be a blessing? Ultimately, why? So we see saving faith is not works, but works are necessary to reveal the depth and the reality and the sincerity of one's faith. Why? So that you don't, you don't live in a vacuum. Concerned about when people isolate so much, how are they to be the light for others to see them? Which brings us to ask, what, what, what are you right now? What are you trusting in to save you? Who are you trusting in yourself? Or how about, how is your saving faith impacting the way that you live right now how's your life different as a follower of jesus one has been justified declared righteous before holy god how how has that truth impacted and changed the way that you live like if you live careful and protected and bubble wrapped like like what's that that's not abraham that's not saving faith that's not how christians live How do we we learn this morning from Abraham whose faith was made real? We know that there's a lot of garbage theology that's being taught. Many people would say faith is what? If you just have enough faith, if you just have enough faith, then you can get up from that wheelchair and walk. That is just a lie from the pit of hell. That is dead wrong. Instead, what happens? True saving faith in the Lord is what? Lord, if you want me to get up out of this chair and walk, or else if you want me never to take a step again, soli deo gloria, to God be the glory. You see, that's how we have to begin to look at life. That's that's how Abraham lived, and that's how Abraham believed. See, what's happening today in people's faith journey is that it's become all about you. Thus what? impacting, sadly, our understanding of what justification is, of salvation. If I pray, God, give me this job. God, God, please help me pass this test. God, please, please give us protection. Give us health. Give us strength. If I pray and God comes through, then God is faithful, right? No, no, no. 
God is just as faithful. God is reigning on the throne. As much as you are in your sickness or in your health. God is reigning on the throne. In the midst of a pandemic. But when there's nothing to worry about. God is sovereignly in control. In poverty. Or in riches. You, you, you see... When God declared what? One is made righteous, justified by placing their faith in Him alone, in Christ alone, by faith alone. Abraham not only believed that, but he lived, he lived his whole life based upon that truth. I conclude with one question. Will you do that? Will you? That's a yes, no answer. Which means either I'm all in. I just don't have what it takes. Of course you don't have what it takes. None of us do. But God has everything and more. Soli Deo Gloria. To the glory of God alone. Nowhere, nowhere. Nowhere is this better exemplified than in what we are able to celebrate this morning with the communion table. That even in what? In, in torture and death, the perfect will of God was accomplished. It needed to happen in order for our what? Our sins be paid for. For what? The wrath of God to be atoned. Let me just read to you a little bit from the Gospel of Luke as far as um, preparing our hearts and our minds. Listen very carefully. And, and when the hour came, you can just pause on that, just at the precise hour, the precise moment. He, speaking of Jesus, reclined at table. And the apostles with him, and he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a, a cup and he had given thanks. He said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. He gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after that they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my bloods. It's all easy. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined. But woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question one another which of them it could be who was going to do this. In, in, in the midst of a perfect promise of being fulfilled, there's still hardship. There's still people turning on one another. There's still betrayal. There's still heartache. There's still death. That's, that's us living 
in a fallen world where we face the curse of death every single day. We're reminded, we're confronted with it. We feel the ache and the pain of it. That's why we gather as a church. We gather, and the, the definition, part of the definition of the local church, those that are called out for his purpose, is that we do this. We eat and drink this. Is there something magical to this bread? No, it's just bread. But it's an amazing reminder. It's an illustration for us. We remember it. Jesus, what, took bread? It says that when he was with his disciples, we just read this, he broke it. And as he broke it, he said, this is a picture of what's going to happen to my body. My body's going to be broken. But it's broken with purpose. It's broken for you to have faith in me. Just so they would never forget it. He says, I want you to eat this. That's what we do as a church. We eat the bread. It is a picture of the broken body of Jesus. We also what? We drink the cup. Jesus poured out the fruit of the vine. And as he, what, passed it, and each one of those disciples took a sip, he said, that's a picture of my blood. We know that without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission of sins. This is what we put faith in, and God graciously has given to us a visual reminder as we look back to the fact of what God has done for us. And so we have the opportunity this morning as a local church and, and I want to invite you, if you have acknowledged the fact that you are a sinner, that your sin deserves wrath and separation for eternity, but you've acknowledged the fact that Jesus Christ paid for your sin as our Savior by suffering and dying on the cross, and you've placed your faith, and you live demonstrating that faith for others to see. In full obedience. And I want to very clearly invite you this morning. If you're a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, please. We need this reminder today more than ever before. Because it places our focus on the one, the only one that we're to have faith in. Now if you have not made that decision. If you're here this morning and you've not acknowledged the fact that Jesus Christ is what? To be your Lord and your Savior. With, with great respect, I would ask you, if you've not made that decision, please don't come up and do this to look good for those around you. It doesn't matter. It means nothing to you. To eat it unworthily is dangerous. But I can invite you to say, even right now, this moment, it may be for the very first time that you acknowledge ourself as sinner, yourself knowing that Jesus is our Savior, and you want to take that step of faith, then I invite you to accept this. I'm going to ask the elders to come forward, and, and just in light of where we're at right now, we have to serve communion a little bit differently rather than bringing it to you. We're going to ask that you come forward. Um, there'll be um, one line in each of the stations. There's three different stations and, and take the, the bread and the cup together and go back to your seat. And we will ask God's blessing on that. And we'll eat that. And we will drink that. So just take a moment of silence thanking the Lord for what he has done for you.
praising him for his goodness and his grace and his mercy. And then come forward, take the bread and the cup, head back to your seats, and we'll partake of it together as family.
Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Lord, as we come into your presence, we are most aware, we are reminded of our unworthiness. The moment we close our eyes, we just quiet our hearts. As we consider your presence, we can't help but see ourselves as unholy. Lord, which drives us to say thank you for who you are in loving us unconditionally, to give you praise for suffering, for dying. We know, Lord, that as we put our trust and our faith in you, it doesn't, doesn't alleviate us from pain and suffering here on this earth. We know that. By putting our faith, in our faith and our trust in you, we know, Lord, that it protects and saves us from eternal damnation and separation. And it draws us to be in your presence forever and ever. And we thank you for that. We thank you for your patience with us in the process. We thank you, Lord, that this morning we can gather and we have this reminder of this bread that is a picture of your body and this cup that is a symbol of your blood. And as we eat it and drink it, may it, Lord, renew our faith to live totally, totally sold out for you. Give us the boldness and bravery that we need to take steps. You know what? Those steps are in each one of our lives. And we pray, Lord, that we would listen now to your spirit to guide us and to lead us. Bless us. Bless us as a church, your body. May you give us the strength to be faithful. We ask this in the amazing and wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. It says in 1 Corinthians 11 that the Lord Jesus, on the very night in which he was betrayed, it says that he took bread. And when he had given thanks, which we just did, he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this, eat this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this, drink this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Mark's gospel says that before they left the upper room, they sang together. And we're going to do that before we leave this morning. May the Lord bless you.